In der Schachwelt spielt sich gerade ein riesiger Cheating-Skandal ab. Das ist, das ist eine unglaubliche Sensation. Es geht um Betrugsvorwürfe, sehr viele Millionen Dollar und angeblich um morsende Analperlen. What is going on? Is this a movie? Is this, this is crazy. Ich bin Yves Bellinghausen und im neuen Funk-Podcast Scambit, Schachhype und Millionen steigen mein Team und ich knietief rein ins Rabbit Hole Schach. Hört jetzt rein in der Podcast-App eures Vertrauens. You are with Cape Talk. Views and News with Clarence Ford. Uh, yes, Cape Talk, it is at uh, 9.36, my name Clarence. It is time for the Naked Scientist, Dr. Chris Smith, uh, the Naked Scientist. Good to have you back, Chris. Good morning. Okay, so we're going to go straight into it, and I see a question in, and we've been reading about it, Elon Musk this past week, also talking about the exponential growth and development of AI and saying everybody in this particular sphere should step back for six months, and we should grow regulation that protects human beings from a future of, of robots. The question is, uh, Dr. Smith, the growth of artificial intelligence has ma have many tech execs worried can we control ai by setting boundaries on how much it can learn solly with that question well the thing about ai is that this is a new kid on the block and at the moment we're just beginning to see what it might or might not be able to do for us it's a bit like being back at the dawn of the internet where this new thing came along and people saw there was enormous potential But subsequently, we learned as we embraced it that there's a price to be paid because it's been used to orchestrate riots. It's been used to peddle online frauds, sell people things they don't need or that uh, are outright deceitful. So with all positives, there are negatives. And we are slowly feeling our way through this field, working out how do we control it? How do we regulate it? How do we keep people who are consumers safe? How do we make sure it's not used for the wrong reasons? The thing is, the technology is running very, very fast. And you're in a situation now where it's running faster than regulation can keep up with. It's running faster than the average intelligent person can keep up with and therefore work out how to legislate. And I think we've reached a sort of watershed moment where things are, are really at the point of making very dramatic changes to the way we work and the way we go about our lives. And something that galvanized it for me the other day, and I think probably also is, is ticking away in the minds of people like Elon Musk, someone was demonstrating one of these AI engines and doing some tests on it. And you'll be familiar when you use the internet with this box that comes up that you tick that says... I'm not a robot. Well, one of these artificial intelligence engines was presented with this problem, how to pretend to be a human. And it solved the problem by going to an online guns for hire type website where you can hire people to do freelance work for you. And it got a human to tick the box for it by saying to the human, I'm disabled and I can't tick that box. So the AI worked out how to get a person to do its dirty work for it and didn't lie because it is disabled. It, it, it can't tick that box because it doesn't have any arms or legs. It didn't lie, but it was economical with the truth. Now, if a computer program can come up with a way to bypass that and subvert a human into doing something that gets around a security measure, I'd say that's reason to be concerned. And I think I'm with Elon Musk on this. I think we do need to make sure that, that we know what we're getting into or it could get pretty nasty pretty quickly. I'm just thinking, so are, are these robots going to be able to, to use a mouse eventually? 
they won't need to because you will become their puppet. And that's exactly oh. what it did. So it won't have to. It'll make you do it. And in some respects, if you think about it, the Internet's already doing that, isn't it? Because when in the old days someone asked you to fill in a form... The form was inherently limited in length and capacity by how long it would take some poor secretary to type all that rubbish into a form in the office or file it or interpret the data. Now they've pushed all the burden of form filling onto the end consumer. You do it on your computer using your electricity and, most precious of all, your time. So the forms have bloated out of all recognition and become absolutely huge. And there's not really that much worry about how good they are, because at the end of the day, the only thing that will go wrong is it messes up your life and then you'll be back to square one. And that doesn't cost the company or the government office or anything, anything. And so as a result, there's, there's unfortunately a bloat going on and we are becoming, rather than the people empowered and liberated by computers and the internet, we're becoming more and more enslaved by the internet. And we really need to think about this because our lives are not getting better for it. Yes, there are benefits, but there are some disbenefits and the costs are quite high. We really need to think about it. So says Dr. Chris Smith, take a greater interest in the development of AI and how it may or may not manifest in the future. Please ask the doctor why printer cartridges are so damn expensive. Now, there's one that kept me out of sleep at night. Thank you, Roland. Roland, I think that weight for weight, the ink and toner in the average cartridge is more pricey than platinum. And I or gold. I don't think that's uh, uh, an outrageous exaggeration. The reason it's so expensive is because you have to buy it. The economic model here is that you are sold the printer at a loss. And by addicting you to that particular brand, you then have to buy the rest of their products. And so what many of these companies do is flog you a printer where the printer loses the money. But they know once you've got the printer you'll probably buy their branded cartridges. And of course, there'll be all kinds of penalties in the warranties if you should deign to use a non-branded toner part. And then it invalidates everything. And they even take steps to stop you using other rival brands by putting microchips and other things into the toner cartridges so it counts how many pages it's printed. And then if you should have the audacity and temerity to want to replenish the toner in a perfectly good cartridge just by buying some toner and using your common sense and intelligence to save yourself a fortune, then they try to stop you by having clever microchips and things built in that say, no, 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 you can't possibly refill this cartridge because you've had more than your money's worth out of it. So you then have to go and buy a dodgy chip, which you replace into the cartridge, and then it works again. This sort of mentality really needs to change. Because on the one hand, we're being force-fed this diatribe of things about how imperiled the planet is and how wasteful everything is, how much we're chucking away, how much pollution we're generating. And then you've got companies being allowed to basically force feed us a whole business model which is predicated on throw away, replace, buy new. And we've lost the ability to repair and make do and mend things. And we actually made a whole program about this on The Naked Scientist. If you want to give it a listen, you can listen to our podcast last week on nakedscientist.com. We look at this whole question of perfectly good gadgets 
that just because the company have invented a new one or they've updated the software and they don't support the old one, there's this move-on mentality and it's very hard to update them, it's very hard to repair stuff, so what do you do? You throw it away and buy another one. What does that do? It leads to enormous amounts of waste. So really we need a turnaround, but it's got to come from the top. Governments have got to say, if they really are serious about the environment, they've got to legislate and they've got to say, look, we need to empower consumers to be able to repair things, fix things and update things better and we need to make sure companies are legally bound to offer that obligation or that opportunity to their consumers rather than force feeding them new stuff all the time. So rule of thumb is then a cheap buy is not necessarily the best buy. Do the numbers. Do the numbers. Yeah, but but also you can replenish these laser cartridges and you can do it very, very cheaply. And thanks to the wonderful invention of the Internet, there are all kinds of guides and videos of helpful people all around the world who will show you if you just watch a couple of minutes of video, how to do it, how to do it safely and not cover yourself in black ink, because that's the thing. You will you will do it. But if you're not careful, you will be covered in the stuff. So don't do it indoors and don't do it if you've got uh, nice clothes on do it outside on a plastic sheet. But um, watch some of those videos, save yourself a fortune. Now let's take a listen to this voice note. Joe, what have you got for us? Hi, morning Clarence. Morning, Dr. Smith. I'd like to find out about this guy's name. Um, he's called Bubba Struger. Apparently he's known as the battery man. I don't know, I've seen this guy put two nails into a 220 volt socket and he's holding it with one on each hand and nothing happens to him. I wonder if it's true, and he, he produces electricity as well. So maybe they should get, you know, Eskom should get him to help him out. But anyway, besides that, um, yeah, how true is it? And I mean, if he's got supernatural powers or whatever, why hasn't the FBI or whatever got hold of him and do tests on him and keep him in a confined place to do tests, like I said? So yeah, um, I'd like to know if that is uh, true about this guy. Anyway, Chris, next. Uh, Clarence, take care. Cheers, John Calshaver. And over to you, Dr. Chris Smith. The reason the FBI haven't got hold of the guy is because he's probably a fraud. And um, this is probably just great stage acting. But the first thing, electricity kills people. And if you stick things in power sockets, you will kill yourself. So please never, never do that. It's so easy to deliver a fatal electric shock to yourself with mains electricity you you will kill yourself so please do not be tempted to try to imitate or do anything like that or stick anything in a plug socket that isn't properly wired up or get someone who knows what they're doing to help never never do that because it, it will kill you how this person's doing this it's almost certainly a trick because every cell every one of the 37 trillion cells that's in a human adult body is electrical and what I mean by that is that cells are tiny bags of water and salts surrounded by an oily membrane. And across that membrane is a voltage. Every single one of our cells is a cell, electrically speaking. And if you add lots of cells together, you are a battery. So every single one of us is effectively a battery. And the way cells do the jobs that they do is by pumping charged particles called ions across that membrane and making an electrical difference across themselves so they can do work. That's how your muscles work, it's how your brain works, it's how your heart works. So if you put electricity 
into the body, you will disrupt that and as a result there will be consequences. And the first evidence for this came when people like Volta hundreds of years ago invented the voltaic pile, a source of electricity, and scientists started to put electricity into living tissue and they realised that our bodies are electrical. You could make frogs' legs move if you put electricity into them. You can make humans move if you put electricity into them. It's how a taser works. So as a result of this, I just don't believe that someone can do that. The only way that you could potentially put yourself to a very high potential is to do what a bird does and when it's sitting on a power line, which is it's not completing the circuit. And if you've got you holding on to a positive supply and there is no route to earth from that positive live supply, then no current will flow and therefore it won't be lethal to you. And that's what happens when the bird lands on the power line. There's no potential difference. It's just at the potential of the power line. There's no way for the electricity to flow to earth. If the bird stood on the pylon and on the power line, like having one hand on the live line and one hand on the neutral line, then there's a route to earth, then a big current will flow, and you almost certainly will, will be delivered a very serious shock, which could be lethal. It's our treasured 30 minutes with the naked scientist, Dr. Chris Smith. Somebody writes, it's wonderful here to hear the lucid, brilliant Chris Smith confirming that we all experience what we are all experiencing, uh, that while computers have benefits, they are not enhancing our lives. They are burdening our lives, says Janine in Komaki. Would you be in agreement with that conclusion, Dr. Smith? Yeah, it's what I said. Uh, basically, I have watched as, for instance, in my job, medicine, we've become enslaved by computer templates and algorithms where previously you could have used your common sense and said, I need to do this this way. Now we are all being forced into a rigid way of working by a computer template because the computer programs might be very powerful at gathering loads of data, but they're forcing us to go and do the data gathering for them. And Humans don't work well like that. Our brains don't work well like that. And a company's making us fill in massive great forms so they don't have to is also wasting huge amounts of our time. Governments are doing the same thing to all of us. And they're doing it because they can, because the only consequence is that we spend longer doing it. So we're all wasting enormous amounts of collective time because it's time that's lost and no one sees it being lost on a massive scale, so no one measures it. And because they don't measure it, no one knows that we're wasting massive amounts of time filling in loads of forms that ultimately some of that data are just not useful and doesn't actually translate into any kind of improvement. So collectively, enormous amounts of industry, electricity and frustration are all being vented on rubbish okay this one reads difficultly but let me let me do it nonetheless if time stands still at the speed of life at a speed of light does it mean from the perspective of light it is instant for light to travel light years for us meaning does time stand still for light meaning that no time has passed from its perspective when it arrives here luca with a higher grade what looks like a higher grade question to me Hello, Luca. The answer is that time doesn't stand still. What does happen is as you go faster and faster and approach the speed of light, no one can go faster than the speed of light because that's the, the speed limit in the universe, then relativity kicks in. So let me explain. If I am walking down the road and I throw a ball to you and you catch it, the ball speed that you measure is the speed of the ball as I threw it plus the speed I was moving at. And if I measure the speed of the ball, I'll measure the same speed that you do. But if I fire a light beam at you, I will measure light coming out of my, say, torch, 
and I will measure light travelling at a certain speed, regardless of how fast I'm going, and you will make a measurement of the speed of light, and you will also measure light coming towards you at the speed of light, regardless of how fast I was travelling. So you can immediately see the problem, which is that light always travels for the observer at the speed of light. But if the person's travelling at the speed of light, well, what happens then? Well, the answer is to satisfy that conundrum, that paradox. Time has to distort and bend in order to keep everything balanced. So say I'm driving through space in my space rocket and I'm travelling at the speed of light and I've got headlights on my space rocket. I turn the headlights on. Well, I will measure light coming out the front of my space rocket, illuminating the path ahead as travelling at the speed of light, even though I'm already at the speed of light. But if you measure me doing that, what you will see is light coming from my headlights at the speed of light, even though I'm moving at the speed of light. So as a result, for me, time continues to tick at the rate that I've recorded time. But for you, time has changed enormously. So if I were to travel at the speed of light on a journey and come back, let's say a year would have passed for me, but maybe 10 years may have passed for you. And that is the mind-boggling aspect of relativity and the way the universe works. And if you're not confused by that, then I think it, it was said about quantum mechanics, those who don't are not baffled by it don't understand it. Well, it's, I think it's the same for this. Okay, I'm going to ponder that. It's probably going to take me a wee while, more than just this weekend. But uh, another question, Ian. Apparently, planets, a planetary parade for next Tuesday. Do you know anything about it? I think this is probably the alignments of, of planets in our solar system. When we look up in the night sky, you see stars twinkling. Some of those stars are distant stars, like our sun, in other systems. But some of those stars wander around in the night sky, and that's why we call them planets. It's from the Greek word planetes, which means wanderers. They are the planets in our solar system. They're all on independent orbits around the sun, and because of the fact that they're all travelling on farther distances from the sun, their orbital periods get longer and longer and longer the farther out from the sun they are. So Mercury goes around the sun very quickly, Venus a bit more slowly, the Earth a bit more slowly, Mars for every two years, uh, sorry, for every year on the Earth, it's two years to do the same lap of Mars. But periodically what you'll end up seeing is the planets forming alignments in the sky because they happen to line up in their orbits at, at certain arrangements of those orbital periods, and it happens every so often and i think that might be what they're referring to okay um are we going to take a quick break then we're going to come back with more of your questions on 072-567-1567 okay we can squeeze in uh, one more question for the naked scientist dr chris smith um please ask the wise man how does one grasp infinity damon asking that particular question i think it's an important question uh dr smith hello damon well, one way to think about this is to just keep counting up one, two, three, and imagine a very big number that you've got to and say, well, that's possibly the biggest number ever, isn't it? And you say, well, no, because you could always add one more on top. You can always go one further. So the concept of infinity is that numbers just keep on climbing and they do not stop getting any bigger. And it's hard for us to imagine because we have evolved to deal with the things we can see, the things we can effectively grapple with mentally, and that means largely the things in the environment around us. So abstract concepts of things becoming infinite is quite hard to envisage but the the best way as i say to think about it mathematically is to keep adding numbers on and then say well i'll add one more i can always add one more and a, and a number goes on 
infinitely. The other way of thinking about this is, well, what's going to happen with the universe? And this can often make you feel a bit weird when you, when you begin to imagine space and it just goes on and on and on and never ends and you never get to the end of it and it's growing all the time and getting bigger. And it begins to make you feel a bit weird and fuzzy because you think, I've got no reference for that because I don't, I don't have a way of processing that because my brain has not evolved to deal with that sort of information. So, uh, yes, a hard question to answer. I think just doing it mathematically and thinking about a number that can keep getting bigger and you always add one more on the end, you'll never get like a journey where you never get where you're trying to go. I, I guess zero or nothing was equally difficult uh, a thing to, to contemplate, yet we did. Yes, and although if you think back, mathematicians, when they first began to consider numbers and values and things, the number zero did not exist to start with, and this had to be invented. Someone had to come up with the concept of zero and then work out how to make that part of, of our maths. So, yeah, it sounds obvious to us now where you have naught of something, but it wasn't immediately intrinsically obvious to people. We're the beneficiaries of many people who've thought about this over thousands of years. Hi, ich bin Yves und ich sag's euch ganz ehrlich, Leute, der Hype um Schach ist real. Und was in der Schachwelt gerade abgeht, das ist einfach nur wild. What is going on? Is this a movie? Is this... This is crazy. Und dann gibt's noch diesen Betrugsskandal um Magnus Carlsen und Hans Niemann, der letzten Herbst das ganze Internet zerlegt hat. Wenn ihr wissen wollt, was da wirklich los war und was sonst noch abgeht im Rabbit Hole Schach, dann abonniert unbedingt den neuen Funk-Podcast Scambit, Schachhype und Millionen. Ab jetzt auf Spotify oder in der Podcast-App eures Vertrauens.